Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. Uh, particularly if you are a, a visitor or a, a newcomer, it's great to, to have you with us. And uh, for any dads or uh, granddads here, happy Father's Day to you. Hope you have a good time with your uh, families uh, today. Uh, welcome also back to Erin and uh, Sophie from Cape and Ray and the friends you brought with you uh, back uh, from Cape and Ray. Look forward to having a good time um, uh, and hearing about your, your, uh, your time away in due course. So we look forward to, to that report. Um, welcome also to you if you're unable to be with us but are watching online this morning. It's great to hear to be joined with us in this way. Well, if we're Christians here this morning, our worship is not just something we do when we come On a Sunday, it's something we do in all of life. Uh, This morning, Colin will be looking at uh, how we can live out our faith in the home and in the workplace. But the Bible teaches us that to to live for Jesus, we do that wherever we are, uh, whether it's in school, whether it's in the uh, the coffee shop, uh, in the choir or the sports field, wherever that might be. And the reason we do that is because of God's great mercy for us. Let's, as we start this service, let's come to him and pray. Romans 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Father God, we thank you that we are able to come into your presence this morning because of your mercy and your grace. Because Jesus has dealt with our sin that separated us from you. He's enabled us to be forgiven. He's reconciled us to you. And so we come to you to express our love for you and our worship of you. We bring you our financial offerings and we bring you our whole lives. Praying that everything we do and say this morning would be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray that our worship will be genuine and the heartfelt, and not just empty words or actions. And we pray that as a result of spending time with you today, with your people, that we will go from here with a greater desire to serve you in every situation in which you place us. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to um, come before the Lord and continue to pray to him, uh, bringing the needs of us as a church family and the world to him. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we bring before you the needs of our church family and our world, knowing that you are able to answer our prayers, knowing that you delight to answer our prayers, and trusting that you will answer them according to your perfect wisdom. Father, we pray for those who are continuing to grieve at this time. Those who may have lost uh, people some time ago, but for whom the pain is still very real. May they all know your comfort and your strength at this time. I pray for those who are ill or recovering from illness, those suffering from COVID, especially those struggling with ongoing symptoms. pray for those waiting for test results, or having to make decisions about treatment. Pray for those looking after other ill family members or parents. Lord, we pray for healing 
We pray that you would reassure them that you are in control and would be with them to strengthen them through whatever challenges lie ahead. Father, we thank you for the, the staff team that you have blessed us with in this church. Pray for Nathan as he takes the assembly in the local school tomorrow. That he would be able to point the children to the God who is behind all the values that the school takes seriously. Pray for Saab and Karen and Colin as they take holiday this week. That they'll be able to get some good rest and refreshment and return ready to serve you with renewed zeal. Pray the same for Steve and Matilda as they return to Canada and spend time with friends and family and their church there. And for John and Abby, that they would be able to make the most of the, the last few weeks of their home assignment in the UK as they prepare for the new semester back in Nigeria. Pray for the situation in that country. Pray that uh, you would keep them and their colleagues and students safe. We pray that you would bring peace and stability to that country through the power of the gospel to change lives. And we pray for your wider world. We continue to pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray for those who have had to seek safety in other countries. Those who remain there, but living in fear for their lives. And those fighting to protect the freedom of their country. May you provide them with the physical and emotional strength and perseverance they need. And we pray for your people in Ukraine that in this hour of desperation they will be able to show the love of Christ in their acts of service. May they be able to share the reason for the hope that they have. And may you turn that human disaster into good as the gospel is spread and believed. So Father, we bring all these prayers in the name of Jesus, and we lift uh, Colin up to you now as well as he comes to preach to us. May you speak through him, and may you give us ears to, to listen, to learn, and to love, and to live. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's reading is from Ephesians 6, starting at verse 1. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. 
Thank you, Helen. Let us uh, pray as we come to God's word together. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you even for some words which are difficult at times to hear. And yet, Lord, we see it, that all your, all your word is from you. Uh, so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to apply it into our lives, that your spirit would be at work, actively transforming us to live for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening to a podcast recently, uh, they were discussing about uh, sharing Christian faith. And historically, people have always asked, um, is it true? But actually, as things have developed, people don't ask the question, is it true? But they ask the question, does it work? Does it work? Like, how does it change my life in a practical way? And whilst we should be able to explain why the Bible is true, we should be able to uh, give a reason for the, histor- uh, the historical fact of the resurrection of which our faith is grounded, people often don't start from that position anymore. People want to know if Christianity impacts their lives, their personal lives, their personal lives in personal ways. Or is it just something to do? Is it just a box to tick on a Sunday uh, to be able to, to come to church and then just pop it on the shelf for the rest of the week and do your best to, to try and live out uh, your life? Is that how it works or is there something more? Well, as we come to Ephesians 6 this morning, uh, we see that the implications of the gospel are extremely practical. Um, as we think about Christian living, we think about it really in these two aspects. One is uh, living at home and living at work. What it means to live as a Christian in both settings. Uh, chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians, as we've heard, really just lay out the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, of what God has done in saving us and transforming us as his people. And then in chapter 4 and 5, it fleshes out some of those practicalities of how to live as God's people, but then how it should shape our characters as individuals as well. We heard last week, just at the end of chapter 5, of how a Christian marriage, the vision for Christian marriage and what that should look like as we live in the light of Christ, who is our bridegroom, and we as his church, the bride, what that means practically. And Paul goes on in chapter 6, uh, from verse 1 to 9, as we heard read, of really how to live as a Christian. How to live as a Christian at home, and how to live as a Christian at work. Two really simple things to, to think about. So living as a Christian at home. Now Paul gives instructions for husbands and wives in chapter 5. And then he goes on to address how to interact uh, between how the interaction should play out between children and parents in chapter six. All these instructions flow out of the start of chapter five in living a life of love. Living a life of love is the fuel for all these things. Firstly, in marriage, of the foundation of marriage is that of love. Ultimately, Jesus dying for his bride. And then the, the love of God flowing itself out into parenting and how we should respond in the gospel uh, in that light. It's from a heart which is shaped by this that allows us to live out some of these fairly radical calls. 
And so Paul, he talks about these things, addressing children and parents from verse 1 to verse 3. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. A loving response of a child to a parent is that of obedience, obedience to them. Which means that when it comes to parenting, the word no is a good word. It is a good word, even though the children might not think it's a good word at the time. Because it displays boundaries. It displays that you love your children because you're able to set those boundaries for them. And to let your children run the house, to let them eat what they want, say what they want, do what they want, go where they want doesn't actually display love. It's not a sacrificial act of love, but an act of selfishness for an easy life. And to say no to children and set clear boundaries allows them to flourish, even though at the time they probably won't agree with you. The motivation for all these things should be the foundation of love. That parents, as they raise their children in the Lord in a culture of love, then they know that their children can come to them. They can come to them, whatever. Even if there's discipline to be laid down, then the children know that they are doing so, the parents are doing so, from a place of love. And that underlines the second part of the verse. They obey in the Lord, for this is right. It means that if if children abuse, if parents abuse their children, then the, the child shouldn't obey them, because it's to be done in the Lord. But as parents lead their children in love and in discipline, then the home becomes a place of peace. The motivation for children to obey is because ultimately it's the right thing to do. And so children or young people, if you're watching, if you ask your parents why, 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 when they ask you to do something, well, they can say, well, actually, God says it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing because the Lord has given authority to parents in order to have it to, to, to help develop and grow their children, even if at the time they might not agree. And that should really flow into what is a healthy family. And not only should children obey their parents because it's good, but as you look at verse 2 and 3, God says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Because in honoring your parents, things will generally go well for you as a child. And so really there's, there's two reasons to obey your parents. One is that it's the right thing to do. And secondly, that things will go well for you. That things will go well for you as a child and really in a family. Honoring your parents is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and also from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And it's the only one with this promise that if you do this, then things will go well for you. Interestingly, the word in the Ten Commandments is honor, and it's not obey. Because if you're, if you're a young child, then honoring your parents looks like obedience. But as you mature, as you get older, obeying your parents isn't the, the main principle. Now, the main principle is honoring them. 
Speaking to a Christian friend recently, he was saying he's kind of wrestling through this as a, a young married man trying to understand how to obey both his parents and his in-laws. I said, well, I'll pray for you, brother. <laughs> but uh, I did actually give him some advice and said to him, actually, there's, there is a dynamic there, isn't there, that because you've left your family, you've left your family, you are now one flesh as a married couple, you've set your own family, then actually your call is not to obey your parents or your in-laws. Your call is to honor them. It is to honor them. And that's quite different. It means that if you're 25 or if you're 55, the call is to honor your parents. It doesn't necessarily mean to obey them, to obey everything that they tell you to do, but it does mean to honor them. And so at different stages and different phases of life, that looks very different. That does look very different. And so we need a spirit of wisdom as to how to do that. As we seek to honor our parents, especially as those who are in the Lord, we want to do that in a manner which brings glory to God. Paul then specifically addresses uh, fathers in verse 4, saying this, Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is quite a high calling for, for fathers ultimately. And it's something which is, which is very difficult and very countercultural. Um, during the, the Jubilee celebrations, uh, I was making a, a barbecue in the back garden. I could hear over the fence just a father doing this, exacerbating their children, just poking fun at his daughter. Because that's the natural tendency, to make fun of your children. But Paul says, as Christian fathers, don't do that. He says, don't exacerbate your children, educate your children. Educate your children in the Lord. As we saw in Ephesians 5, Christ is head of the church. And as husbands, they are head of wives and therefore head of the family in that order. And so we can't really underestimate just how influential, just how powerful a man's voice is in the family. How influential a godly husband or a godly father is in setting the tone. The challenge is obviously if we're in a relationship, if we're in a marriage where that's not the case. And as godly godly wives, we want to pray for our husbands in that way. That they would be able to, to set a good tone in the family. I remember seeing a really good example of this uh, when I was in Italy playing rugby and a pastor just uh, invited me into his home and his example was outstanding. He was gentle, patient, kind towards his children, towards his wife, and treated them with real dignity and respect and honor. And as a result, his, play, his, his home was a place of peace and tranquility. There wasn't any arguing, any loud voices but he just led in love. I thought if, if I ever get married, that is something that I would want to do to replicate that, that manner of godliness in the home. And the most important thing is that your children, when you're parenting, are treated in the same way with, with value, with love and with respect, that they know that they are loved whatever happens in their life, that they can come to you. And therefore, when you have to discipline them, then they know that you're doing it out of love for them. For many today, the the word discipline seems like a bad word. It seems like a swear word to some people. But as Christians, we're mindful of our relationship to God, our Father, who disciplines us. As it says in Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6, My son, 
Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. If God the Father disciplines us, then how much more should we discipline our own children to display that love? As it says in Proverbs thirteen twenty four, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. It means that parents and fathers especially lead in the instruction and discipline of their children in the Lord. The church supports that work, encourages parents to do that work, but ultimately the parents are to take that that primary responsibility in leading their children. And as Neil said last week, if if we're looking for a partner, we want to look for one that is in the Lord. We want to look for someone that will be able to lead us in the Lord, that will be able to, will be able to thrive together for Jesus. Through the circumstances of life, we, we might be married to someone that, that's not a believer, but again, we do pray for them, and we pray that we would be able to, in the example that we set, that we would set a godly example. As Christian parents and fathers especially, we want to, to lead our, our families in the Lord, um, and really doing some, some basic things. Week by week that we would be able to, to say, actually, we're going to go to church. Each Sunday by Sunday, just building that rhythm into our lives, into our families' lives. That we read the Bible when we can. We open the words, maybe at the dinner table, when we can. Reading Christian books with our children and seeking to, to pray for them, to listen to their concerns. That we wouldn't just get them just to obey, but they would actually love the Lord more and more as we talk to them about Jesus. This is a really high calling. It's a really high calling for especially fathers. But the model is Jesus, as we look to Jesus and what he has done for us in laying his life down in love. That is what it means to live, live as a Christian at home, and then we have living as a Christian at work. And from verse uh, 5 to 9, the, the theme of slavery and, and masters comes up as well. Slavery in Roman times is not the same thing as the 18th century uh, slave trade in America. Um, Some slaves in the Roman Empire were skilled people. Uh, They were educated. They were doctors. Some of them were engineers. And nor is it to ignore the fact that some were undoubtedly humiliated and treated extremely harshly. Slavery was a fundamental part of the Roman economy at the time. And in fact, if you ever visit Rome, uh, if you go to the center of Rome where the Colosseum is, the Colosseum is built by 10,000 slaves over 10 months because the whole ancient world was built on that. And at the time, to not become a slave, if you didn't have a family to, to, to hold on to, you were either destitute or you were probably going to end up dying as a result because things were so desperate. And so people would sell themselves into slavery to allow themselves to live. And Paul's not saying that slavery is good, uh, and nor is he saying that uh, all slaves had awful lives. But Paul's focus is not on a, a social revolution, but on living for Christ. Living for Christ, whatever we're placed. You think of that with persecuted Christians today. Their ambition is not to overthrow the government, but their ambition is to live for Jesus Christ, whatever they have been placed in the world. 
When it comes to slavery, William Wilberforce had the power and influence to be able to abolish slavery, all based on the Christian teaching that every man and woman is made in the image of God. Martin Luther King Jr. was another one who fought for equal rights based on that understanding that all men and women are created equal. That is the Christian foundation. But for us today, the closest equivalent of slaves and masters is probably employee or employer, pupil or teacher or worker or boss. Because it's really about the one who has, the one who sits under authority and the one who has authority over another. And so the question is, how does this dynamic play itself out? Well, Paul says in verse five to six, that slaves obey your earthly masters and respect, uh, respect with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not just not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So really, whether we're in a a place of work as an employee or maybe a student at a university or school, we're to submit and obey ourselves to the authority over us. And we're not to do so reluctantly, but from the heart. As Paul says in verse 7 and 8, we're to serve wholeheartedly as if we were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are slave or free. It means that in our places of work or or study, such as university and school, we're to obey those who have that authority over us. And we're to do so uh, because it is ultimately Christ who has ultimate authority. He has placed them in a place of authority, but he is the one that has ultimate authority. And we're to obey them not begrudgingly, but from the heart. Not only when they're Not only when they're looking, when they can see what we're doing, but when they're not looking. As ultimately, we're not serving them, but we're serving the Lord through them. No doubt, as we think about recent working uh, habits, that has come to the fore when it comes to working at home. Uh, People working at home and and their boss can't see exactly what they're doing, especially with students who maybe uh, their video seems to just break all of a sudden and they can't switch on the camera. But then when we're working at home, we want to be able to to do so in a manner which is pleasing to the Lord. It means, therefore, we we don't waste time. We don't waste time working on our own things when we're at work. And nor should we be people who are lazy or unreliable or late as employees or students. Our motivation is not to serve people, but ultimately to serve the Lord. It means that as Christians, we should be the most reliable employee in the company. We should be the most hardworking, integral person, either in the company or in the classroom. Because the work you do is not to prove how good you are to other people, but the work you do is for the glory of God. People around you might be doing really good work. In fact, they might do better work than you, but your motivation is really different because you do it for God's glory and not for your own. And therefore, we do everything from our whole heart, from everything that we do is with great passion. And so whatever God has called you to do, whatever place he's put you in, we're called to do our work with excellence, with honesty, integrity in everything that we do. It means it might actually mean working longer hours over a season of life. Or perhaps if we are married, it might mean working shorter hours. 
so that we would be able to, to love our wives as we're called to, to lay down our lives for them. Maybe as wives, we might have to lay down our rights as we seek to respect our husbands in, in ways as well, in, either in the workplace or at home. And both of these call for a spirit of wisdom. There is no right and wrong answer, but we seek to glorify God in everything we do, whatever God has placed us in life, whether that's in work, in leisure, or at home. As our motivation is fueled by the love of God, as Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5, we're called to live a life of love. To live a life of love. And Jesus is our ultimate example of that. Of obedience to authority in love, even to the point of death. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10, For whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To live as a Christian means really to to die to our rights, to die to our preferences, to live for others, that we would serve others in love. Just as Jesus came to give his life for us. As Andy Robinson said the other week, the way of love is death. The way of love is death, because that is the Christian way that we would be able to to die to ourselves, to have life. The crucifix is that symbol of death and, and resurrection, that we die to our own rights, die to our own preferences as we seek to live for others, seek to love others. And when we look to Jesus and what he achieves on the cross, we look to someone who gave his life for us in love. A Christ-like life is what we want to live, both at home and at work. We don't want to to make an idol out of work. We don't want to live just for productivity. But we want to live in a manner which really does glorify God. It might mean, for our workplaces, it might mean that we actually have to to stop working, maybe because uh, our boss is perhaps abusive, emotionally or verbally. We maybe have to, to... to choose another job, to, to go to another place. Or we may need to, to stop working because of our health. We may have to stop because of, of ill health. But whatever, whatever God has placed us, we're called to, to honor him in everything, to bring him glory. Because when it comes to work, God doesn't love us because of the work that we do for him. God loves us because of Jesus' work for us. And we can rest in that. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to prove yourself by your work. You don't need to prove yourself by your work. Because Jesus has done his work for you. So you can rest in that. You can rest in his finished work for you. The same is true for for those who have power and hold authority. As Paul says in, in verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. It means really, if, if you're a teacher, a supervisor, a manager, a director, a boss of any kind, then ultimately you're to do everything for Christ. As you work for Jesus from the heart and not just to produce results, It means that that people actually take priority over production. We seek to live, to glorify God and to love people. As those in authority, uh, we're not to use threats to get results, but to set a tone of love in whatever we're placed, whether that's in school or in the workplace. 
I'm sure you've been in workplaces or classrooms where either the teacher or the boss is a tyrant, and it makes for a really toxic work environment. In Roman times, slave masters would have been tempted, um, very easily tempted, to abuse their power and to threaten those under them, probably with physical beatings, no doubt. But Paul says that because you'll, you'll give an account to your master, that is Jesus Christ, on the day of judgment, then treat people fairly and justly. Treat all people fairly and justly. As he says, there's no favoritism of any kind. It means that if we hold, if we hold a place of authority, wherever we are, we're to do so, uh, do so without favoritism. We don't have cliques wherever we are, but treat people fairly and without bias wherever we're placed. The Lord calls us really to live differently because he's, he's revealed himself to be one who is totally different from anyone else. Because the Lord, in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so as we look to live for the Lord, wherever he's placed us, we do so from the heart because he's given us a new heart. He's given us a heart which is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So by the power of the Spirit and the work of the Word in our lives, we want to live for the pleasure of our Heavenly Father, who smiles on us because of Jesus, because of His Son, our Lord, our Master, our Savior, and our friend. That we would live radically different lives both at home and at work, as we do so for his glory. Let's just spend a few moments just in prayer as we think about living these things out. Heavenly Father, we are mindful of how far short we fall on many of these things. Lord, as, as children, not obeying our parents or not honoring our parents as we should, as parents not leading in, in love as we should, being too harsh or being too loose. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to honor you in everything in our lives. And we pray, Lord, for those in workplaces as well as we seek to, to live for your glory as employees, as employers. Lord, that you would help us to, to do so in a distinctly Christ-like way, that we would bring you honor. We do this because the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have displayed your lavish love to us in laying down your life for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond to that, to live a life of love in the places that you've put us, whether that's at home, in the classroom, in the workplace wherever we might be, Lord, that we would seek to bring you glory. Help us, Lord, we pray. We thank you that you've not left us alone to do this, but your, your spirit is at work in our lives, giving us the power to lead lives which bring you glory. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been good to look this morning, isn't it? God's vision for um, Christian living at home and at work 
Um, the great news is we don't do it in our own strength. Um, God has given us the support and encouragement of each other. So as we go for a coffee afterwards, and do please stay for a refreshment. Um, why don't you just ask one another, how can I pray for you in the week ahead? What are the challenges you're facing in the home and in the workplace? Let's uh, open up with one another and uh, let's be honest and seek the help and prayers of each other. And he has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. So as we close, uh, some words of commissioning. Go into God's world with joy and peace and love and hope in your hearts and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.